All right, everyone, take your seats and be on your best behavior. We have a special guest on today's episode. Take your seats, please. Thanks. Hello, and welcome to the Change Academy podcast, where we share tools and insights that can help you convert your desires and your ambitions into reality. It all starts by understanding why we do the things we do and how we can make that process more intentional and more satisfying. I'm your host, Monica Reinagel, and this week I'm delighted to introduce a conversation that my co-host, Brock Armstrong, had with Dr. Nicole Byers. Nicole is a psychologist who specializes in neuropsychology. And a few years ago, she left her dream job working in a top hospital and teaching at a university in order to become an entrepreneur. And now she coaches professionals to help them develop the mental habits that allow them to feel less overwhelmed, more confident, and ultimately to take action toward their goals. She also hosts a terrific podcast called The Bold Life. When we became aware of Nicole's work, we immediately recognized her as a kindred spirit, and we knew we had to introduce her to our Change Academy listeners. In this interview, Brock and Nicole talk about stress and how it can actually help make us more productive instead of less productive, but only when we know how to approach it. And they also talk about how taking on too many behavior changes at once can actually make it harder to succeed at any of them. And Well, I won't talk anymore because I know you're going to get as much out of their conversation as I did. So please enjoy. The first thing I guess is welcome to the Change Academy podcast. We're so happy to have you on the podcast. I've been listening to your show for a while now, even though I'm not a stressed out mom. What's the, (laughs) (laughs) what am I supposed to be a busy mom? Not a right. I'm not one of those, but I still really enjoy everything that you have to offer on your show. And some of the topics that you've covered recently really resonated with, with Monica and I, but we figured our audience could really benefit from, from hearing your perspective on some of these things. So, so welcome to the show. Thank you. And first and foremost, I'm going to set a little scenario up for you here. So let's say, uh, people are working on themselves. Everybody who listens to this podcast is hopefully working on doing some sort of change, some sort of big change in their life. So, you know, those times when you're like a week or 10 days or even two weeks into eating the diet that you want to eat and you've been exercising regularly and maybe you haven't been doing the online shopping and, and everything is going really well. And then your dog gets sick or your child gets sick or work gets really stressful or something and everything sort of goes out the window and you fall back on those old habits. Why, why do we do that? Why do we humans do that when we get stressed out? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the important thing to keep in mind is that the habits that you had before your brain spent a long time learning them, Mm. right? They got there for a reason because they were helping you for some reason, they were making your life easier. And your brain probably spent a lot of years learning those old habits. So that becomes like a mental default for our brain. So when our brains have to do more work, when we're stressed out, when things don't go according to plan, our brain wants to make life easier and falls back into those defaults because it takes a lot of work, a lot of energy for your brain to stick with those new habits that aren't really habits yet. They're still requiring a lot of effort. So that's why when things kind of go off the rails or something comes up, it's so much easier for our brain to fall back into those old patterns. All right. That makes so much sense. I think we forget sometimes that we've spent, let's say like 20, 30, 40, 50 years in my case, 
rehearsing some particular behaviors and then we think we can just replace them with a, a 30, 60 or 90 day challenge or something right. like that. So what what are some ways that we can actually, well, not have that happen? Is there any sort of mindsets that we can employ to hopefully cut that off at the past, not allow that to happen? Yeah, I think the first important point is giving ourselves a little bit of grace that stuff happens, right? There's going to be days where our motivation isn't as high. There's going to be days where other stuff comes up. And I think what really makes us fall off track is not necessarily the bad day itself. It's how we interpret that bad day. So we say, oh man, I failed today. Why even bother? Why even keep going? Because we get into this kind of like an all or nothing type of thinking, right? Either I'm sticking to this habit, I'm going in hundred percent, I'm working so hard, or I'm doing a terrible, horrible job yeah. at doing this. And so giving ourselves some grace that, you know, there will be those days that things don't go totally according to plan. And it is good enough to just keep going. Even the little bit that we can is a great step. So we don't fall totally off the wagon. We still keep some of that momentum. So letting go of some perfectionism, yeah, that all or nothing mentality can really sabotage us in so many ways, can't it? Absolutely. And especially when we're trying to change, right? Because we set these expectations for ourselves. Like I should be able to do this. I should be able to be magically chain this habit overnight that took me 50 years to develop. And then when we don't, we feel really bad and we lose that momentum. You used a word there that comes up a lot in, in um, behavior change. And we talk about it in change Academy and, and also in our way less program, the shoulds, Mm -hmm. like I should be able to do this. And, or somebody tells you that you should be working on something. So you think you, you ought to, is is that something you, do you keep an ear out for, for words like that? Yes, absolutely. I think the shoulds are a great example of some of that pressure that we put on ourselves, And, you know, from my perspective, there are a few different problems with the shoulds. One is that often the shoulds come from external factors. We feel like we should do something because of what we see other people doing or what we see in the media or the expectations that we've learned from our family and our friends and our community. And so that's actually really hard for our brains to stick to because our brain doesn't like doing things that don't feel good for ourselves. So when these expectations come from outside of ourselves and we feel like we should do something, it makes sense then that it's harder to follow through. Right. Now, back a little ways, I sort of, I got a little sidetracked here, but you actually (laughs) said something really, really interesting. I know you have a, a podcast episode about this too, that sometimes those stressful moments that come up, it's not necessarily the, the actual extra workload or the sick dog or whatever it happens to be that derails us. It's our mindset around that. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah. So whenever something happens in our world, our brain likes to make sense of what's going on. So our brain starts to tell us stories about what's happening. The example I love to give is I hate traffic. I only have a 10 minute commute, thank goodness, because I'm horrible in traffic. When someone cuts me off or I'm everyone's driving slow, my kind of default mental stories that my brain goes to, the story my brain starts telling are things like, oh my gosh, that person's a horrible driver. Oh my gosh, I'm never going to get to work. What's that goofball doing? How come this isn't working? Right. And I'm getting angry and angrier. And I'm starting to really, you know, I'm holding that steering wheel really tight. My jaw's clenched. I'm muttering to myself under my breath. And what's happening is not so much the traffic, it's how my brain is interpreting that traffic. So one strategy that I love to recommend, and I do this for myself when I'm driving all the time, is to do what we can to challenge those default mental stories. For example, when someone cuts me off or someone's driving like bonehead, I will say, well, maybe they just really need to use 
the washroom, or maybe they're <laughs> running really late, or maybe there is a bug, like a giant bee that got into their car. That's like, they need to pull over so they can get the bee out. And as silly as that sounds, it actually helps shift our brain's focus. So instead of me being really mad at that person, feeling tense, feeling stressed, this new mental story, how I interpret that situation, even if it seems outlandish or way out there, helps my brain get some perspective. Your your stories that you're replacing are a lot more whimsical than the ones I usually use. I'm always like, like oh, maybe they're just driving like an idiot because they're rushing to the hospital or something. Right. Mine are much more um, emergency-based than a, a bug in the car <laughs> <laughs> or having to go to the washroom. I like yeah. that. Though. I guess like it doesn't really matter what the story is. It's The point is just shifting your perspective away from those practiced ones that, that are causing you, well, that aren't serving you, I guess, is really yes. what it comes down to. Absolutely. And again, those are our, our defaults for our brain, right? Because our brain wants to make life easy. And so it, we have these go-to interpretations of how we see the world, these default mental stories that our brain is writing all the time. And that's where we're going to be quick to go to. And so even if it doesn't feel like it's really a realistic alternative, just the fact that you're using different parts of your brain actually to create these alternative stories, and it can shift that mindset, shift what's going on in your brain and in your body. So you feel less stressed out and overwhelmed. So I guess in the case of, let's say we were nailing our diet and our exercise program and, and things like that for a couple of weeks, and then and then the busy time at work comes along and, and our immediate reaction to that is to, I don't know, the, blame the boss or blame the other workers because they weren't pulling their weight or, or something like that. We can employ that same idea to shift our perspective and hopefully be able to to stick to our plan a little bit better how how would you i i should ask you to explain how could we use it in that situation yeah so say there's you know something urgent that comes up at work that throws our schedule off and my default story is to be like oh my gosh i hate my boss i can't believe they threw this at me they're never going to give me enough time to do things another way to think about that could be something like okay this problem came up. Maybe it was unexpected for them. I can't really do much about that, but what can I do mm. going forward? If we can take back control in those stories that we're telling ourselves, that's really great for our brains because our brains love to be in control. And often when that control seems like it's outside of us, like my boss gave me this awful project or this person cut me off in traffic, that makes it really hard for our brains to get back on track because we feel like we don't have control over that situation. So if instead I can say, okay, what can I do now? Maybe I can create some stories to relieve that stress about my boss's bad day and maybe his car broke down and whatever made him get to that point. But then I can create some stories of, okay, what can I control over the situation? What are those steps that I can take can bring back some of that relief? That, that almost sounds like radical acceptance. Mm -hmm. The idea that sure, I can't control that the, my boss is making me do this, but what I can control is this and this and this. So having that acceptance of, well, this is the situation and resisting it isn't going to make it better. How can I work within, within these constraints, I guess? Yeah, that's a, that's a great analogy. Absolutely. Is how can I bring back that control? What can I control in the situation that really feels out of our control, right? That's what creates a lot of the stress and right. anxiety and pressure is the world feels out of our control, whether it's someone that cuts us off in traffic or the boss that makes you stay late. So you can't stick to your diet or exercise routine. It feels like that control is being removed from us and our brains really hate that situation. So anything that we can do to bring that control back is great. 
And then I guess, like you said earlier too, like letting go of that all or nothing thinking is kind of the magic one-two punch, I'd say, if you can control the things that you can control and not just throw the baby out with the bathwater and and do what you can to maintain that healthy diet or the, the workout program, that could be a really powerful uh, combination. Absolutely. And just a heads up, it sounds easy, not always easy to put into practice these things that we're talking about. Remember, these are longstanding brain defaults that we're trying to overcome here, right? So our brain is going to be quick to go to those all or nothing thinking, to feel like life is out of our control. If that's the pattern that we've learned, it's going to take some practice and some effort at first to really catch those thoughts and say, okay, what's another way that I could think about this? It's putting some effort into trying to create some of those alternative stories that can help relieve some of that pressure. I love the way at the end of your podcast episodes, you tend to give some some homework and we do the same thing on Change Academy. Do you have any any ways some specific tactics that you you have that people could employ like in that sort of that difficult period where you're trying to catch those thoughts and yeah. change them? Yeah. One that I, I learned this actually from Brene Brown. I read it in one of her books and I really like it. I, use I love it. her. She, yes. She's so fantastic. Yeah. Right. Yes. So clever. Um, and I use it all the time is to say to myself, the story I'm telling myself is, and then I insert that. And even that fact of just taking that moment to do some reflection on what's the story I'm telling myself right now. So if I'm starting to feel stressed or I'm starting to feel anxious, or I'm starting to feel frustrated or whatever that feeling is, what is that story that I'm telling? Because so often these stories just come automatically in our brain, right? Our thoughts go and go and go, and we don't spend that moment to catch them. So saying, what is that story I'm telling myself and taking a minute to be honest with, okay, what am I actually thinking can be a really great first step. You just made me feel super duper smart (laughs) (laughs) and I'll explain. It's October 1st when we're recording this episode and every year for years now, I've done sober October. So for the month of October, no, no alcohol. And, And I don't have a problem with alcohol or anything, but I do like to take a break every once in a while. And this year, I actually, over the last couple of days, I started a document that was the stories I tell myself about why I want to drink. And it was amazing just getting those onto, not literally on paper, but putting them into a, a document on my computer brought that awareness to the stories I tell myself in those moments where I'm like, oh, well, I said I wasn't going to drink or I don't really need a drink, but this is the story I'm telling myself yes. that makes me want to drink. So yeah, that's a, a really, really great strategy. And and is there some doing it ahead of time? Like, like I just described, is there some, some efficacy from that as well? Absolutely. Especially because when we first start doing this, it's really hard to catch those thoughts in the moment, right? Mm-hmm. We're not used to catching them. We're used to just letting them float by us and impact how we're feeling. So doing it either beforehand, thinking about some of those typical situations that we get into that we want to avoid or afterwards as well, spending some time reflecting on, okay, what was I feeling when I decided I wanted to have that drink? What was I feeling when I decided I wanted to slam my door and yell at my boss? What was going on in my brain? What were those stories can be a great way to start that strategy. Now, sticking with the stressful situation, I know you did a a wonderful episode of your podcast where you talked about how a little bit of stress can actually make you more productive. Yes. So is there a way we can use that same, that same idea of like using that stress to, to keep us focused? Yeah, that's a really great question. Uh, So there's this really interesting study done a number of years ago by psychologists called Yerkes and Dodson, and they created this Yerkes-Dodson curve. It's an upside down U. So just picture a U upside down. And this is 
their analysis of that relationship between stress and productivity efficiency. So what happens is that at both ends of the curve, you're in problem territory. So at, you know, the far left side is where your stress level is really low. You don't have any pressure. And so we procrastinate, Mm. right? We've all been there before. We have a deadline that's like six months, a year, whatever down the road. And so we don't have that stress or pressure on us. So it's really hard to take action. So we don't get much done. And then at the opposite side, the far side is when we have way too much stress and pressure. And we also don't get anything done because it feels too overwhelming. That deadline that comes up suddenly and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to be able to do this. And so our brain goes into this, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? I can't do this mode. And we aren't very efficient. We make more mistakes. So really the sweet spot is finding that middle ground where we have just enough stress or pressure to get our butts in gear to take action, but not so much so that we feel totally overwhelmed. And that sounds like it it would be more of a, like knowing that, I guess, or seeing that upside down you and, and knowing about that. Can we, can we help that or can that help us shift our, our perspective for those moments when we're like, Oh, I'm so stressed out. I just want to throw everything out the window and eat little Debbie cakes on the, on the couch. How knowing that this actually can make us more productive, is that a, a way we can shift our mindset? Yeah, a great way to do that as well is keep in mind that when we talk about stress, our brains and our bodies react to positive stress and negative stress the same way. I like mm. to use the example of roller coasters. There are some people that love roller coasters, right? So yes, perfect. So you are standing in line, you're waiting for the roller coaster, you're looking at it, you're watching the people go ahead of you, and you're starting to notice that you feel like your heart's racing a little bit, it's starting to flutter. You might get a little like flippy feeling in your stomach. Maybe you notice that your breathing changes a little bit and you start to feel really excited, right? You're really pumped up and you're ready to go and have fun. Someone else me, for example, I get horrible motion sickness. I do not like going on rides (laughs) at all. I can't even watch movies in movie theaters half the time. It's so bad. But so when I am looking at a ride, like a roller coaster, I feel my heart racing. I feel my stomach start to do backflips. I start to sweat a little bit, but instead of feeling excited, I feel awful. I feel scared. I feel like I'm going to be sick. And why I love this example is because it's the same situation same reaction in our bodies. Our bodies are responding the same, but again, it's those stories that we're coming up with. In one, I love roller coasters. I feel really excited. Two, I hate roller coasters. I'm totally going to vomit off the side of this ride. And so our brains interpret them differently and how we then feel in our body and our minds is different. And so even just keeping that in mind that sometimes when we feel overwhelmed or we feel tense, it's actually our body getting us keyed up and ready to go is a great information to have. It's a, it feels like the word stress at some point, I'm going to say in the eighties, just cause that's when in my life, I kind of became aware of being stressed out. Like we started yes. using that phrase, but it really got a bad rap. Mm-hmm. And if we called it something like the twinkles or something, (laughs) then we probably wouldn't fear it as much. And sure, stress does actually have some deleterious effects on our health. But, and I I think you referenced this in in your podcast episode that it really had in the, uh, in the studies that they did that showed that stress can actually have a negative effect on our health was because we believed it would. Yes. So absolutely. So that connection between our brains and our bodies is 
super strong, right? How we interpret the world around us impacts how our body is going to respond. Even going back to the example of, you know, the roller coaster. So you're standing there getting excited. That excitement is motivating you to go on the ride. It's not going to have so much impact on your health. But if I'm standing there getting more and more stressed out, more and more anxious about this, I'm going to start to feel more and more sick, right? Mm. My heart's going to keep racing faster. My stomach's going to do backflips. I might even get sick before I go on the darn ride, right? Oh, no. So that's going to, so that's going to impact how I'm not taking you react. to the amusement park I know, ever. Right? I, just... I, know. I can do little bits. Let's give a, I can do, I can do the ones that drop really fast. Those oh, ones okay. are okay. I like those. Nothing that spins. Spinning is not my friend, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. So, you know, we can, our bodies and our brains are so connected in this way. And so even just the way we interpret situations as a positive or a negative stress can impact our long-term health because of how that then sends these signals to our body to start responding, whether we ramp up that stress or we say, okay, this is actually a good thing. Let's keep going with it. So we're back to the stories we tell ourselves. Yes. Changing yes. those stories can actually have a, a complete, a real effect on our health and our well-being. And our, our beliefs are incredibly important when it comes to our health, going off track a little bit here, but I love this story just to share it quickly. There is research out there, for example, that the more confident that we are, that our treatment for health conditions will work, the more effective it is. For example, they've done research on patients with cancer. They have the same type of cancer, same stage, same medications they're using. Folks who were more confident in their treatment team and that the treatment would work had better outcomes. Mm -hmm. So believing that this treatment is going to work will actually impact how that medication changes in your body, which is a really incredible illustration of how strong that mind-body connection is. That's like those placebo studies too. Like yes. one man's placebo is another man's cure. In, yes. In so many ways. It, and you can't discount that as much as, and I'm certainly not calling like chemotherapy or radiation or anything, a, a placebo, but we can believe so much in the treatment that we can turn a sugar pill into, into an effective medication. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I guess there was one more thing that I really wanted to to dig into, and that was the idea. You you have an episode, and I've heard you talk about the the idea of being a workaholic or being somebody who takes on a lot of different tasks. Like I know a lot of our listeners are are retired, but they're still those type of people that take on a lot of extra tasks. And anytime somebody asks them to do something, they're the first ones to say yes, and that's yes. a wonderful thing. But can you explain how that actually makes us less productive? Yes, that is a great question. So really this comes down to limits, limits that your brain has for how much it can actually do. And there's been a lot of research on this. You know, one of the limits is just how long we can stay focused. For example, we can stay focused on a task for about 60 to 90 minutes. That's it. Mm -hmm. Then our efficiency starts to go down. So if I'm sitting here trying to write the same email or the same paper for two or three hours, my efficiency is going to go down. I'm actually going to get less done in the same amount of time. Same comes for the amount of hours that you're putting in to work in a week. There was a study, I can't remember the year it was, but it was done at Stanford a few years ago. And they looked at workaholics basically and how productive they were. And what they found was that once you're working more than about 50 hours a week, which is still a lot, we don't need to yeah. be working 50 hours a week, our productivity declines really fast. Folks who were working 70 hours a week, which is a crazy number, got as much done as those that were working 55 hours in a week. So they're putting 15 extra hours into the office with nothing to show for it, yeah. other than it likely decline in their health. 
And so really just working more isn't a great long-term productivity strategy and it's not great for our bodies or our minds. And the reason I wanted to bring this up on, on this particular podcast is when we're trying to make changes in our lives, often people that we work with have this laundry list of things that like, I want to stop eating sugar and I want to exercise more and I don't want to drink as much alcohol and I want to stop spending online. And they have this laundry list of things of behavior changes that they right. want to do. And they try to tackle all of them all at once. And it sounds to me like this same sort of mindset can be employed here that if we're trying to make too many changes in our behavior all at once, we probably become less productive or less. Uh, absolutely. Yes, yeah. absolutely. That's another limit for our brain is our brain can't actually multitask in the way that it think we think that it can. So if I'm trying to juggle 400 new behaviors at once, that is so much for my brain to try and process. And the chances of us being successful are actually quite low. And really that one small change, one behavior change at a time, and then practicing that until it becomes a new habit for our brain before we move on to the next major life change is a really great long-term success strategy. I think that is Excellent advice and a perfect place to to leave off. So can you just remind everybody where they can find you online, where you, your podcast, your website, all of that? Sure. Yeah. Best place to go is probably my website. It's drnicolebyers.com. I have a link to my podcast there, The Bold Life as well, and some blog posts, as well as a, a number of different resources that folks can access about getting more done in your day, productivity strategies, time management strategies, and really stress management strategies in general. And I know you just recently interviewed Monica as well. So that yes. episode should be coming up soon as well. Yes, definitely. That'll be really fun. I can't wait to hear that conversation. And uh, thank you again for coming on the Change Academy podcast and sharing your wonderful wisdom. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me. All right. All right. Thanks, everyone. And don't forget to go to drnicolebyers.com to learn more about our guests.